Thank you. We, uh, we love you all immensely. And I was meeting with a pastor this past week. We get together, and um, when we get together, we walk. Um, one, because he's really ADD and sitting to just eat. He has a hard time doing that. So he says, it's just better for me if we walk. He says, it's probably better for both of us. So that's what we do. But anyway, in the, in the, in the midst of our conversation, I said to him, I said, you know, um, when, I, when I was away on vacation, we were away on vacation, I spent some time just thinking through life and various things. And I had arrived at a couple conclusions. And I was sharing those conclusions with him. And... Um, one of, those, one of those conclusions was, okay, so it's going to be 40, 45 years that I've been pastoring this church next year, roughly. Um, and the, uh, you, know, you can look at that and go, okay, I've done this for 45 years. I'm too old to do anything else to like start over again. So... Wherever I'm at now, you just got to finish it, whatever you're finishing, right? You, you know, um, so there's, you know, I was thinking through all that kind of stuff. And, and I said to this pastor, I said, I can tell you if I could do it all over again, I would do the same thing. I can't imagine spending my life doing anything that's greater than this, having all of you that are here now, those that have been here in the past, those that will be here that I don't even know they're going to show up yet. But how rich that's made my life, made for both of us. And as Clarence said, yeah, there's, I mean, there's always some level of negative stuff in life. That's just life, right? But at the end, it's like, man, God, you have been so incredibly good. And you've enriched our lives with the lives of other people. And all of you in this room, and some that aren't in this room, and some that are glad they're not in this room, (laughs) have made me a better person because of each of you. Because one thing I've discovered... And I, you know, it's tough to fess up sometimes, but one of the things I've, I have discovered is in my worst critics, there's valid criticism. And in the times that I've pushed that away because it was too uncomfortable, I missed something that I should have gotten. Doesn't mean they're totally right. I'm just giving them credit for some things, right? Woo. Okay, now look. Stop. Why is it doing that? Okay. So um, I'm, I'm kind of shifting from where I was at some weeks ago on um, stewardship, trying to wrap, wrap that up. And so in a sense, I'm still on stewardship, but I'm kind of shifting the focus. And... Another thing that made me realize that, you know, as we get into this new year, Joe and Amanda are taking a larger role 
on facilitating Sundays, I'm taking a lesser role. My, my role over 24 will continue to diminish as far as being in front of you like this. Um, and so as I put this together and, and continue to, to you know, flesh the whole thing out as I usually do when I prepare things, um, I was sitting here this morning going, okay, this, this will be the last series I do as senior pastor in this church. Because this series will probably take us into the better part of next year, just because the amount of time I'm up front, I have less, less time to speak. So I either have to talk faster, condense it, that would be a struggle. Um, you know, if you one of the things like with TED Talks, you work at taking a, hard, a large amount of information and you keep boiling it down, boiling it down, so you get as concise as you can. So my goal is to try to reduce my sermons to two sentences. <laughs> so anyway, this is the coming of the Spirit. Um, and I, I really felt a, a real emphasis by, by the Lord to focus this, this, this next series on the person of the Holy Spirit but also the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. So over these, this next series, however long it goes, we're going to delve into all of that. But for today, I, I, this is just kind of the opening, the opening of the coming of the Spirit. One of the things that um, many of us in charismatic circles do, we treat the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we treat the gifts of the Spirit as these like events, I'm going to speak in tongues. I'm going to prophesy, you know, whatever it is. But we, we treat it as an event. And we also have a tendency to take the baptism of the Holy Spirit and treat that as an event. When the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it has events in it because I'm in it. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit where when he comes in his person into me, into you, it starts to affect us and change us in ways that work themselves outwardly. I, I uh, well, so I, I want to kind of start to unpack how I'm seeing the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and how that affects us in the church and even why we have it. So in Genesis, we're going to start in Genesis, Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. Now the word life there, breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. The, the, the better translation there is the breath of lives with a V. It's not singular, it's plural. When God breathed into Adam, all of creation was affected by that breath. Breath, also in the Hebrew, and I'll butcher this, but, you know, uh, get out your little verbal translator and it'll tell you how to say it correctly. Um, Neshama, which is... What's it, when it says he breathed, the word actually is puff. 
he puffed into Adam, and Adam came alive. You know, there's, um, oh, years ago, one of the circles we were traveling in, at that time, anytime somebody prayed for you, they had to, like, blow on you at hurricane velocity. Yeah. 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 The humidity went up in the, in, in, in it, you know, all that. But God only needed to puff. It, it fascinates me. And, and as I said, I have a long history. I mean, for 50 years, I've been speaking in tongues. I have a long history with the Holy Spirit. I've been through a lot of Holy Spirit nonsense. I've been the facilitator of some of that nonsense. If I could do it all over again, I would do the same thing. Only because in those, I, it's easy to go through a season where Holy Spirit is, is doing something and, and we embrace it, you know, fill, fire, you know, whatever we're doing, we embrace it. We embrace it from a, an honest heart's desire for more. Now, a year from now, I may look back at the video and go, oh, I was doing that? What? Why did I do that? At the time, it felt like a really good idea. And I think I can say I was honestly pursuing God. Looked like an idiot? Yep. But somehow, God honors that. So I don't go out and make myself an idiot to attract the Holy Spirit. But there are times when the Holy Spirit comes to some around me, I look like an idiot. It's kind of in the heart. What are you, what are you, what are you pursuing? So God puffed into Adam, and he became alive. Ecclesiastes 12, 7 says, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So when, when, when um, Yahweh puffed into Adam, he became a living creature. Breath is what makes me a living creature. I can't exist without breath. You can't exist without breath. You know, I've, I've heard it. I know I've said it, and I've heard others say it as well. You know, we, sometimes we, the, whole, um, the whole, whole course of death, we make it really complicated, and sometimes we complicate it to the point that somehow God needs to use all this uh, adversity to somehow get me to die. When the fact is, it's easy to die. You just stop breathing. That's, that's all it takes. It's not difficult. When the breath of God leaves me, then the, the shell will be returned to the dust. In John chapter 20, verse 22 and when he had said this, he being Jesus, he breathed on them and said to them, receive 
the Holy Spirit. And then, well, first, you know, receive the Holy Spirit. The same word in the Greek New Testament is puff. Again, I don't know that Jesus needed hurricane force error to get them to receive the Holy Spirit. He puffed on them, and they received. And then in verse 23, it, it, it tags something onto that. And, and I, I don't know that I've quite seen it this way before, but this idea, first Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. We're going to spend some time in this command. But then he goes on, he said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I find that just really interesting. Receive the Holy Spirit, forgive. We can get really charismatic and blow and run and roll and fall back and fall forward and flip over chairs and all the stuff that has happened in this room. We can do all that, receive the Holy Spirit. Now forgive. Because if you withhold forgiveness, it's withheld. Now, only obviously, only God can fully forgive. I, I don't think that's the context that Jesus is referring to. The context he's referring to is the relational concept. If I'm going to receive the Holy Spirit, if I'm going to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if I'm going to be somebody that moves in the gifts of the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit needs to be present. It doesn't do me any good if I'm the tongue talk, best tongue talker in the whole room if when I leave here I've got a whole basket full of unforgiveness that I just towed around because I ain't letting them off the hook. Not going to do it. No. If you're in relationship with the Holy Spirit, forgive. Forgive. Jesus said, I've given you the charge of reconciliation. We are the reconcilers on the world. That's our charge. That's what the body of Christ is to do. How do we bring the spirit of reconciliation? Well, we can bring it a lot of different ways. It may be selling a painting. But somehow God is using you and he's using me to be the reconcilers of the earth. If I don't forgive, I can't reconcile. If I hold the unforgiveness. Now, and it doesn't always have to be against me. I mean, how many times have we sat with someone that's dealing with unforgiveness and through praying with them, sozo, however we're doing it, all of a sudden they get unlocked from the unforgiveness that, they're being, that they held and now they become free in spirit and now they can start to move forward. My job as being a member of the body of Christ, is every time the opportunity is there, how do I help somebody forgive? How do I help somebody get out from underneath of this bondage that the enemy holds them in? If I'm going to say I've received the Holy Spirit, if I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then let us be reconcilers.
In 1 Corinthians 15, 45, thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So, you know, as we, get, as we begin to look at this whole thing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the life of the Spirit, and I want to just take a little bit of an overview of Scripture. So Yahweh forms Adam from the dust, breathes, and gives him the breath of lives into his nostrils. You know, this is the same breath that's found in creation. I mean, we, we all breathe, if you know. So we're, we're all in this thing. So man, though given dominion over creation, is also part of the creation of the body and the breath. And the humility of the man is that we are like the creatures and live with the very same breath. It's like, I, I'm not, I've been given dominion, you've been given dominion. But that dominion should bring me to this place of humility as I realize my dominion, like uh, um, Clarence, when he was talking about the animals, and you know, all of us, most of us have animals and we know what it is to take care of them. But you know, even, it, you know, this gets lost kind of in people that don't know anything about farming. But so we have two, two cows that we're raising that you know, sometime next year, they're, they're going to be slaughtered. That's what they're there for. But those two animals, we take good care of them. You don't mistreat them because at a certain point, they're, they're going to end up in my freezer. No, it's, it's, you, you don't do that. It's like the, these animals, I am part of them. They are part of me. I, I, you know, I, I really, really appreciate the way many of First Nations people look at nature and look at animals. And even, even when you know and you're going out hunting and I'm going to kill a deer, there's an understanding that that animal is giving its life for my life. So there's an honoring there. There's also a connection. It's, I mean, it, growing up as a hunter, I mean, people always like, ah, oh, you just like to go kill things. It's like, no. No, you'd have to be a hunter to understand. It's just not the taking of the life. There's, 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 it's bigger than that. It's broader than that. It's deeper than that. It's spiritual. Why? Because there's an understanding. I mean, if, if you're, you know, if... Uh, if you see it differently, then just put a bigger bumper on your car and just go run over deer. <laughs> and results the same. Throw them in the trunk, take them home. But no, that's not the way it works. It, it, There's something much broader than that. So I'm in this place, you're in this place where we've been given dominion over creation, but I'm also part of that creation. It's times that it frustrates me that in the church... For I don't know, for whatever reason, so the, we just, you know, we have a tendency to just get on nonsensical stuff and turn it into doctrine. But, you know, when you, when you start talking to some, and they, they have a total disregard for the earth, as if, what well, doesn't make any difference. I mean, you know, I, one, I don't even believe what anything they're saying. And two, it doesn't make any difference anyway. I mean, the earth's the earth, and Jesus is coming back, so why should I care? You should care 
because you're part of our Father's creation. There's only one creator. Everything he created, he called good. He then put me in a place, put you in a place where I have a level of responsibility to that. And my responsibility isn't to destroy it. You know, as I said the last time I was stood in front of you all, I want to I be at that place as Ralph Nader was, where he said, I want to live my life as a good ancestor. I don't want to leave my grandchildren with a mess and go, sorry about your luck. Yeah, here's your junk card. I want to be a good ancestor. I want to order my life in such a way that somehow, the best I can, it's better when I leave than it was when I got here. And I don't know, you know, each of us have to figure out how to do that. I don't know, I, I kind of have an idea what that means for me. We each have to figure that out. But I'm, I, because of the breath, I'm coupled to this creation. I'm not separate from it. And I'm not superior to it. Having dominion doesn't mean superiority. Having dominion actually means responsibility. He didn't make the earth our slave. He just said, you're responsible for what I've, for what I've created. You know, at the end of, the, at the end of our life, we're, we're always reminded. You know, this body, minus its breath, will decay and become part of the elements that it once came from. We, in the new creation, are to offer mankind the finished work of forgiveness found in Christ. So, Old, Old Testament, we have the garden, we have God breathing into Adam, and we're going to talk about some stuff after that, but God breathes into Adam, gives him dominion, and Adam doesn't really handle that well. New creation, Jesus breathes into the disciples and said, you're a new creation. The first Adam was a life, was a human. The second Adam, Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What I'm breathing into you is the ability to be life-giving spirits. Go and manifest life. And, you know, we've talked about that, and I'm not going to go too far down that trail today, but there's so many ways that we do that. But am I manifesting life? Am I stewarding life well? Am I manifesting life? Am I manifesting death? Are my words words of life, or are they words of death? Are my actions actions in reconciliation, or are they actions that actually bring more destruction? We've probably all had the experience there's tension in the room. We're kind of working through the tension. We think we almost, I think, I think we can kind of get this thing worked out. And then another person walks in the room. Good Lord, where'd they come from? Within five minutes of being in the room, it's worse than it ever was. There's more tension. There's more confusion. There's more argument. There's more hostility. It's all more. And then they leave. And we're all sitting in the room at a higher level of confrontation than before they came in. I don't want to be that person. I'm pretty sure I have been that person. I don't want to be that person. 
I want to be at a place at a place where if I have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if Holy Spirit is working in me, then I should certainly know when to shut up and when to talk. Those are elementary baptism of the Holy Spirit gifts. The gift of shutting up and the gift of knowing when enough is enough. You don't, if, if, and, and, and I think maybe that's why we've been given the gift of tongues, because if you find it, you're at a place where you can't really control that, just shift over to tongues. Nobody will know what you're saying. You won't offend most people. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you won't have to explain anything later about why did you say that. I was talking with Linda and I had breakfast with someone yesterday and they were talking about a situation where they just said way more than they should have said and didn't stop till they got to the period and then spent the rest of the day going, I don't think I should ever do that again. I don't know why I said that. that I, I was totally out of my lane. I'm like, Yes, you were. <laughs> That's all I, I I don't know what else to say to you. Yep. Yep, that. You should have had the spirit to shut up. So at the new creation, Jesus breathes on the disciples, literally puffing, a gentle breath, release, and says, receive the Holy Spirit. At the breath, you know, Adam became a life-giving being. When Yahweh breathed life into Jesus in the resurrection, he became the life-giving spirit. When I talked about, um, last time I was up in, um, uh, where is it? It's in 1 Corinthians, where um, um, Paul talks about us being stewards of the mysteries of God. One of the things that I need to be able to steward as a mystery is this place that in Jesus, when Yahweh breathed into Jesus, he was dead, right? Dead. God breathes in, he comes forth a life-giving spirit. Now, I'm not sure in the resurrection if we actually have to breathe or not. Scripture doesn't say, I don't know, and I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. But the breath of God brought Jesus up from the grave and and he became the life-giving spirit. For, and I think part of the mysteries, and part of, and we'll explore this in weeks ahead, but part of <clears throat> even the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to live life in such a way that I'm in communion with God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each person giving what, what I need in that moment. And I'm at this place where I am... Christ imaging and becoming that life-giving spirit. As I just said, when I come into the room, am I bringing life? Am I bringing death? Am I giving it away? And I, I think how that mystery works itself out is um, there in our life experience, there's, there has to be, and I'm not saying God's the author, but there has to be those places where we experience death so that we can experience resurrection 
Now, some of that, I mean, it's literal death. There's those places. But for far more of us, it's not that. It's just the death of self. It's that death place where I know, I, you know, again, as Clarence was saying, I don't want to do this. I'm tired. I don't think I have anything to offer. I, I can give all my, my reasons for not acting. And yet Holy Spirit says, you need to act. You need to go. You need to do. You need to say. You need to pray. Whatever, whatever it is, you need to go. And we lay down our life at that point. We experience a place of death because it's a death to my will. You know, why should I be bothered? Why can't somebody else do this? Well, there's other people that are better for this. Whatever my excuse is. And God's like, no, I, I just want you to go. Okay. Well, I then am open for, re- for resurrection. And I'm now open to be a life-giving spirit. Whatever that, whatever that life may look like, I don't know. Every situation is different. So we're offering the finished work of Christ to mankind. The church, the body of Christ has got to come to this place where we don't get pulled into the divisiveness of worldly systems, worldly arguments, you know, whatever they are. Um, Well, what do you think about the war in Ukraine? Uh, Well, um, you know, you know, we, we try we try to walk our way through that. I don't know that what I think about the war in Ukraine is of any significance or importance. What does God think about the war in the Ukraine? What is God doing about the war in Ukraine? What piece of that, if any, has he asked me to be involved in? Has he asked me to pray? Has he asked me to go? Has he asked me? What, 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 what has he asked me? Well, what do you think about this whole Hamas and Israel thing? Uh, I don't know that what I think has a lot of bearing. You know, and then and I uh, I think this is a reliable support report. I other people that I respect have have continued this report going, so I'm assuming this is a true report. But in the in the last two weeks, there's been a, a huge amount of reports coming out of Palestine from Christian groups that are still operating in Palestine in the midst of all this, of many Muslims having encounters with Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So when somebody says, well, what do you think about this whole Hamas-Israel thing? I don't know. But Jesus is showing up to a lot of people. And somehow... If enough of Jesus shows up to enough people, something will change. So I don't know if what I think makes any difference, but I do want to try to hear what God's thinking. And what God is always thinking is reconciliation. Thank God he's not petty like we are. With our wars and our conflicts and who doesn't like who and, you know, um, all that stuff. It's like, no, he's about reconciliation. 
Jesus became a life-giving spirit. So every place Jesus steps into the scene, a life-giving event is taking place. I want to think about that. I want to think about how do I be a part of that? Maybe it's just in prayer. And I don't know. I mean, this has not happened to me, but it would not strike me odd if it happens to someone or me. But what if, what if in a situation like that, God's like, you know, instead of getting into all the he said, she said, you know, all that kind of stuff, just, just pray and pray life and pray as I taught you to pray, you know, as Rob said earlier, our Father who art in heaven, how will be your name? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on this spot in the earth as is in heaven. What if that's all he asked me to do? And what happens if I faithfully set my heart to do that and I do that and I don't let my heart become ensnared in all the other stuff and on a certain night I go in and I begin to pray and next thing I know, I'm in Palestine. (laughs) What happens if God says, look, I've heard you in the secret place Now, let me reward you in the open place. Come with me. I mean, that that would give a whole different meaning to the Christmas carol. You can think on that one for a moment. You can see how that. Not going to explain it, but. (laughs) So, what we. You know, we don't know, but most of the time I don't know because I've really never taken the time to put myself in a place where it could actually happen. I want it to happen in between my 10 o'clock show and my noon show. I want a visitation. And God's like, well, no, it's not. I'm not really tied to the TV that way. How about you come away with me and I'll tell you when I show up. You know, I love, Tom, your example. It's like, Jesus comes in. He hasn't said anything. I haven't physically seen him, but I know he's there. I know I'm in his presence right now. And at another point, he leaves. But he doesn't leave me an orphan. He leaves me with peace. And I thought, that was incredible. And he's like, see, if I'm Lord then maybe you should think about fitting into my schedule. That's just a thought. I'll just throw that out there. I don't. So we, we, as we, again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not an event. It's not just something that happened on the day of Pentecost. So it's connected to time. We're, we're, We're going to look into that further. But for right now, let me just run us through the Old Testament, and then I'll be done. (laughs) So from Adam to Noah, mankind grew and functioned outside of a relationship with Yahweh. People did what was right in their own eyes. They had developed, you know, there was... You know, there was a lot happening in the seen and the unseen realm. There's a lot going on, but it didn't involve Yahweh. It involved his, the, the creation going its own way. The rulers of this world held the reins of power and worship. 
Every, every place you looked, that's what was going on. There were a few individuals who knew Yahweh, but not a people group. There's no, there's no place in, in early Genesis where there's a people group that are worshiping Yahweh. It says that God chose Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans. When you look at the Mesopotamian area, uh, that, the Euphrates River, that, that kind of the seedbed of human existence, there were major empires that were there. I mean, it, it's incredible what was going on in that area uh, outside of what's talked about in Genesis. But God goes into that area, finds this guy named Abram and says, hey, come with me. I have something I want to show you. Surprise upon surprises, Abram goes, sure. Comes home, tells his wife, hey, let's take a little trip. We'll be back in three days. That was a TV show that I grew up with, and it's me not have the same impact these days. So he calls him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, that whole area in Euphrates, uh, where it was, it was the seat of powerful rulers. And through Abraham, Yahweh created Israel, a people that would hear his voice, follow his ways, and demonstrate the joy of being a part of his kingdom. That was the goal. That was the goal in the garden. Now it's the goal... With, with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, I, I'm going to have a people unto myself. And I'm going to show all the other gods, the other Elohims, I'm going to show them what it looks like when a people follow me. So that didn't go well either. Israel d developed through various types of leaders. First there was judges and then prophets up to Samuel and then kings. So through this time, the power struggle between the kings, the prophets, and the priest was going on with ultimately the priest emerging as the central power brokers with the temple as the center. So by the time we get to Malachi, the priests are running the show. The voice of God is silent, so no prophets were speaking. And the temple was the, the epicenter of what it meant to be an Israelite. And, you know, we, we have, sec and of course, by Malachi, at second temple, you know, I'm not going to spend time in first temple and all that, just giving you the quick through. So we get to Malachi. So as we end the Old Testament, we find in Malachi, Yahweh rebuking the priest for the corruption they created in the temples and the offerings. So, Noah, the plan was, Noah, you have dominion, uh, garden, you know, anytime in scripture the, the term garden is used, and, and actually in just ancient history as well, garden almost always represents a place where God dwelt. Mountains represented where God dwelt. Pyramids represented where God dwelt. And if we're, if we're a, um, a nomadic group living in fairly arid land, the whole thought of living in a garden where you could just pull fruit off a tree, where the water just flowed through. Of course, a God would dwell there. A God wouldn't dwell where we dwell. A God wouldn't live the way we live. A God would, would live bigger than that. And so we have this place where Noah starts there, 
but then chooses his own way and, and loses that. So, um, but the plan was, no, I want to have relationship with my creation in the garden. We watched that deteriorate all through the Old Testament. Now we get to the beginning. Well, we're at that transition point where the old is ending and the new is coming. And at that place, you know, Jesus now comes on the scene and the temple becomes, and we've talked about this in times past, but the temple becomes the central place where Jesus is having his confrontations with the Pharisees, with the priest. The gauntlet has been, been put down. So now the Lord is about to breathe on a new creation. Receive the Holy Spirit. What man could not do, Yahweh, the creator, is about to do with a fresh breath of heaven and earth once again being joined together in the Messiah. Psalms 47, I think, ends it all well. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with a loud songs of joy for the Lord, the most high. It is to be to be feared, the great king over all the earth. He subdued the peoples under us, the nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of the trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king over all the earth. Sing praises with the psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. At a certain point, Messiah comes. And again, to, to use N.T. Wright's uh, phrase, which I absolutely love, the revolution has begun. What humankind, through all of its endeavors, could not set right and actually made worse is now about to be set right. Because this time, it's not going to be set right by just a man, a king, it's going to be set right by God himself inhabiting flesh and blood and then calling, <laughs> calling that the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's about to, and we're now 2,000 years into this revolution. And I know some people see the glass as empty. I don't see it as full. I sure don't see it as empty. But what I do see is the body of Christ, our responsibility has never changed. Whew. Receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Now forgive. Forgive. Set it right. Set it right. Because there isn't a conflict out there that unforgiveness isn't at the root of the conflict. I don't care what it is. Whether you took my land, you took life of my family, I, you know, whatever it is. Unforgiveness is at the root of virtually everything that's out there. We have been called to live differently. We have been called to so arrange our lives, to so steward our lives, 
that we are the image bearers of Christ and that we are the life-giving spirits that give life away. Amen. So that's that. I didn't do too bad. I'm going to whittle that down, I promise. You're going to get a two-sentence sermon. I just don't know when. I have a lot to say before I get there. Father, I thank you. I thank you for what you've called us to. I thank you, Lord, that you are our redeemer, that as you came in the flesh, even as we enter into this Christmas season, Lord, you came as the child. You came in innocence. You came not with the glory of trumpets blaring for all men to bow their face, but you came taking on flesh and blood to dwell among us that we would know that you are the word of God and that we could trust our lives to you. And in the midst of that, you use us and shape us and guide us to be your representers on the earth. Thank you for that responsibility, Lord. And I pray for each of us that we, we, well, we wear it well. Jesus, for your glory. Amen.